0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We ask, Lord Jesus, that uh, as we close out another Lord's Day, that you would speak to our hearts. It's been a day of uh, much activity, but the Lord's Day is also to be primarily a day where we worship you. And so we do pray, Father, that uh, you would engage our spirits with yours tonight teach us something from your word. We thank you for answered prayer on behalf of many here at Flat Creek and others that we may know. We lift these up to you this evening. We thank of needle at this time and the outcome. We leave the outcome to the consultation on Tuesday. We pray for Mike and his surgery this coming uh, Thursday. Pray for this young man, uh, Aaron. We lift him up to you and others, Lord, that... Uh, We've been praying for for some time. We ask that you would abide and be with them and restore them according to your will. Guide us this evening as we look at uh, the book of Exodus. Open our hearts and minds to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Just a reminder, there are a number of names on um, on our list that have been there for quite some time. So if you would... Take some time this week to peruse it and let us know if we can, if there are any updates, those that we can, perhaps take off the um, uh, prayer list, uh, any of those types of situations. So please, please take uh, some time to review it, if you would. Exodus chapter seven. This is uh, the record of the first plague that uh, the Lord unleashes on Egypt. And <clears throat> we closed last Sunday evening. I, w- I want you to, uh, if you would, pick up with verse 11. If The story here goes uh, that, of course, Aaron cast down Moses' rod, <coughs> or cast down his rod, rather, and it became a serpent. We talked a little bit about that. We think that this was perhaps a... Uh, Some, either some constrictor of some nature or uh, maybe even a crocodile. The word that's used there can can be translated either way. But in verse 11 it says, But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers so the magicians of Egypt. uh, They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. As the Lord had said. So pagan lands, whether they're ancient or even contemporary, one of the, one of the uh, uh, earmarks, trademarks, if you please, of uh, paganism is there has to be some substitution for, uh, supernat- for the supernatural God that we, uh, that we serve. And so in many cases, it, uh, we refer to it as magic or black magic. It's talked about here as enchantments. We, looked, we quoted some scripture this morning from the book of Deuteronomy about why the Lord uh, uh, told the Hebrew people to rid themselves, rid the nations of Canaan uh, from practicing these because it, uh, it is addictive. It gives a power that is um, anti-God. And so many people are attracted to this. And that's what we see here in these verses that follow. So Egypt was, at this time, uh, certainly in the, if you want to call it the western part of the world, but certainly in the Mediterranean world, uh, the most educated and sophisticated of the nations there on earth. They had been, uh, pharaohs had ruled Egypt for well over a thousand years by the time that the, uh, or total, grand total of a 1,000 years by the time Moses comes on the scene. So uh, their dynasties are well-known. If you go back into antiquities, you can learn a great deal about it. But these people were intelligent. They were educated, and by that I mean they were uh, selected by certain councils to guide the Pharaoh. This is not unlike uh, the kings as we go through the Old Testament or even into the New Testament. The one thing that they lacked, of course, was the wisdom of God. Knowledge is, is a wonderful thing, but without wisdom, without the ability to apply that knowledge, there's an issue. And folks, this, I mentioned artificial intelligence this, this morning, but the purveyors and the developers of artificial intelligence have gone so far as to say their goal is to create a digital God, capital G. So again, I'm going to expand more of that when we get to Second Peter. But this is this is the nature of man's sin. Education's a wonderful thing, but sometimes we have the idea that we uh, uh, we too can become gods. We see that all the way through uh, the Bible. Now, what happens, of course, is they cast their rods down; they turn to serpents and and the Bible says Aaron uh, cast or Aaron's rod, which was already on the ground, swallowed up their rods. And the, the result of this, you would think, would be that Pharaoh questions what's going on, but he doesn't. He's very obstinate, very arrogant. Remember, ruled Egypt 4,000 years. So he didn't heed them. And the Lord had said that he wasn't going to heed them. And so he hardens his heart against the work that uh, Aaron and Moses were showing him. So I reminded you last Sunday evening that the, the, the serpent or the image, whatever this animal was or whatever Aaron's rod uh, morphed into, was probably uh, a superior power regarding the symbol on Pharaoh's headdress. And um, one of the things that is at play here, and we see this all the way through these plagues, one of the things that, that's uh, at play here is the fact that Yahweh is going to, through these miracles, through these plagues, he's going to imprint on the mind of Pharaoh that there is no power that is greater than the God of Israel. And so we could glean something from this. God goes, he didn't go out of his way. This is just something that God does. But he does impress upon Pharaoh that the gods of Egypt are just demigods. They are not of the power, obviously, that he displays. Now, what happens is that Pharaoh ignores the Lord's message. He ignores the message of Aaron, uh, Moses, and Aaron, and this plays almost all the way through. We get about halfway through the plagues, and Pharaoh says, I have sinned. You go into the wilderness and do your thing. And then he changes his mind. So somebody apparently pokes him in the ribs and says, You're Pharaoh. Don't, don't give in to these, to these quacks. Okay? Now, Spurgeon preached the message. Uh, many many years ago 150 or so years ago entitled The Power of Aaron's Rod and he used or in this message uh, he used what we see here in fact he preached it from Exodus chapter 7 as an example of, of the truth that God's power is greater than anything else and the application that he made from this message was that God's power swallows up Our idols of sin. That's what's happening here. He's swallowing up idols. Fast forward just a few chapters and you come to Exodus chapter 20, you'll have no other gods before me. So the Lord had made this tremendous statement to the children of Israel and to the children of Egypt for that matter. And that's what God's power does. A few weeks ago, we preached from 1 Corinthians, and I reminded you, or Paul reminded us, rather, that the Jews seek signs, and the Gentiles or the Greeks seek after wisdom, and that's still prevalent today. There are many people who are not Jewish that want a sign, and there are many people that are not Gentiles that seek wisdom, but you put these both together. And what we find is it is an earmark of the nature of the pride of sinners. Show me something and I will believe. Give me some knowledge. Give me some information. Let me go Google it. See whether or not it's true, as if everything on the Internet were true. Next slide. So we see this take place. Now, in verse 14 through 18, Moses is warning Pharaoh that, hey, you've seen what's taking place here, but something else greater is going to take place. Let's look at that. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. It is, uh, the word that is used there is that it is filled with calcification, um, and because of that, it's not uh, malleable. It's not uh, compassionate. It's not understanding. His heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to the Pharaoh. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out into the water, you stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to serpent, you shall take in your hand. So we think that Pharaoh there are basically ten ten gods and the, uh, or ten primary gods in the Egyptian pantheon and Pharaoh during his day one of his daily routines was to pay some type of homage to all ten of these gods I don't have them listed I will list, list them later on for you and so the Lord knows Pharaoh's um, habits and he says he's going in Uh, in the morning down to the river to bathe perhaps or to pay homage to uh, the, uh, the God of the Nile. Hapai was the God of the Nile. And so the Lord says you need to be there when he shows up. And he will say by this you shall know that I am the Lord. This is a phrase that is repeated time and time again throughout these chapters. So Apparently, as he did to bathe, to worship the god Hapi, the god of the river Nile, and there were many gods, but this was the primary one, uh, and the Nile was extremely fertile. It, they, the Egyptian commerce revolved almost entirely around the Nile, still that way today, and the Nile would flood. It would carry the silt from the, water, from the river over to the uh, uh, lands, and then it would deposit it, The land of Goshen where the Hebrews dwelled at least for a number of years was the richest of this land. It was given to uh, Joseph's progeny and Joseph's brothers until such time as there uh, rose up a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. And so then he removed them from this fertile land. So this takes place. Look at verses, uh, uh, well, let's look at verse... Sixteen. You shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now you will not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with a rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die, and the river shall stink. And the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river." So Moses warns him, okay, we've told you the Lord has asked, or the Lord brother, has commanded that his people go into the wilderness, and obviously what they were, the, the Lord's plan was that they would continue to go. And so Moses does, he warns Pharaoh again, this is going to happen. So the first plague, and we see that in verses 19 through 21, the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, and over all the pools of water that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod, struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river returned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. The Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So Moses goes into some detail here. And what is taking place is the contamination of all the fresh water. Now we're told that we have to drink or we should drink. No, we don't have to drink. Um, But we should drink, uh, what, eight, eight eight-ounce glasses of water a day, 64 ounces, okay? Uh, And that depends on individuals. So uh, that's important to remember that. So the Nile is turned to blood, not only the Nile, but the streams that feed the Nile, the other rivers that proceed into the Nile or perhaps away from the Nile, the ponds, that are used for the livestock, the pools of water, and the pools of water is a a direct inference to fresh water. So everything turns to blood, and you can imagine the fish die. You can imagine the the stench that that occurs across the land. The Nile is a little over 4,000 miles long. So there are some that say that this was a localized uh, plague, but there's nowhere that indicates it's localized. So from that, we, it doesn't say that it covered the entire length, but it does say the stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. So that's not just the lands or the cities, but the waters of the entire nation. So the extent of these plagues is nationwide. And that causes the Egyptians. Now, Pharaoh, verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So we don't know where Pharaoh uh, acquired his water. Perhaps they had some there in his uh, palace, but the fact remains that this doesn't change his attitude because his magicians do a similar thing. Now, we're not told how uh, how significant these particular, uh, these particular uh, enchantments are. In other words, we're not told. They're certainly not as extensive as what takes place in the preceding verses. And perhaps there were waters in the palace that... Uh, In fact, the Lord says here that buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. So in some fashion, they were able to perform a similar type of miracle. Um, Notice in verse 24, uh, verse 23, And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for the water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. So they basically were digging wells. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So we see in this what is referred to, and it's it's quite often found in uh, the Old Testament, Jesus taught this way too. The chiasms that are found here in the structure that you see here in the um, book of Exodus. Structures of threes. And that is the first two plagues only come after warning. And then there's a call to repentance. The third plague in each set comes without warning, and that's what we're going to see in chapter 8. Now, we're not going to read that this evening, but that's what we're going to see from this. Next slide, if you would. So uh, the Lord may have used natural mechanisms. God is not opposed to using natural mechanisms uh, to accomplish plagues, they certainly could be uh, out of the realm of um, scientific laws, which would be supernatural. Um, the, the fact is that God caused these, uh, this first plague, to take place. And these plagues are literal. There are some that say, well, this is just a, a small example of what was taking place. No, they're literal. Uh, there's no symbolism in what's taking place. Um, and because of that, it's important to remember when we fast forward to the book of Revelation, the plagues that you see in the book of, Le- uh, in book of Revelation are literal as well. So we must be very careful. Now, there are portions of Scripture that are based on metaphors. There are portions that are based on allegories. Uh, and it's important to remember that, especially when we look at some of the Old Testament prophecies. But when we come to the New Testament, The word that is plainly spoken is given to us so that we may plainly hear. Uh, That's what we find here. That's what Moses records. So there's a strategy to what the Lord is doing. The Lord never does anything randomly. When somebody says God is doing this randomly, they don't know God. He's not doing it randomly. There's a strategy. There's a purpose to everything the Lord does. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 3, did he not? Each of these plagues, and the plagues are the blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the Passover, the death of the firstborn. So what is occurring here? Is an attack on each of the primary deities of Egypt. When you come to the Book of Revelation, what's going to be unleashed on the earth are the people who are so in love with supernatural, even if it's if it's through uh, enchantments or soothsaying or smoothsayers or whatever you want, to, or whatever you want to refer to. The interesting thing is that when we come to the Book of Revelation. Everything that the pagans have ever wanted is going to take place. It's just not going to be in their favor. So these flags bring punishment against Egypt and they answer Pharaoh's original question, which is, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go and that I should obey him? Every person that refuses to acknowledge the Lord Jesus as Savior, will no doubt have this in mind. The Book of Revelation says they will call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. So what we see here is a precursor for what's taking will take place in the book in the Apocalypse when that takes place. So specifically the first plague was directed against the numerous Egyptian river deities. Hapi is the, uh, is the main one. Uh, Hapi, 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 and then the others that would follow. Is that the last slide or is there one more? Yeah. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile. Indigenous people here in America often would worship rivers. Sometimes, unfortunately, they still do. But the Lord shows to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians that he has complete power over the Nile, which is the longest and one of the most powerful rivers on earth. That some river god is not waiting in the shallows to reveal himself. So (coughs) i give you a little bit of understanding here, but... What we see here is that the plagues, there are links to the Hebrew words that mean blow or stroke. So we may see them listed here as plagues. We may see see them listed as uh, miracles. But what is happening is God is, is uh, striking the Egyptian people. He is making an undeniable statement. And so when you look at the way the language rolls up, each plague was as if God were to strike or beat a deity worshipped by the Egyptians. So uh, the Egyptian god Kunum was said to be the guardian of the Nile. This displayed to the people that Kunum could not protect their territory. The main god, Happy, Hapai was said to be the spirit of the Nile and was brought low by this plague. The great god Osiris, which you've probably heard of, was thought to have the Nile in his bloodstream. And in this plague, he truly bled. So all of this rose, uh, all of these things are revealed. And one of the reasons that Pharaoh heartens his heart is because he is a sinner. And a very hardened sinner from that. But one of the reasons is he, he hardens his heart is he does not want to accept the God of the Hebrews. These people are slaves. I'm Pharaoh. <laughs> so again, all of this at play during this time. There have been a number of archaeological discoveries in and around Egypt. And there's a papyrus from the period known as the Apu'ar papyrus. Uh, And it's basically a a historical record of what's taking place. Uh, And in this particular papyrus, there was a record where it says that the Nile was blood and undrinkable. So some people say, well, we never find these plagues outside of the Bible. Well, that's not entirely true. Over the years, archaeology has Um, made some uh, inroads into determining what exactly is taking place. So we will stop there this evening. Any comments or questions, we'll pick up next Sunday evening with the second plague. As I said, things move rapidly now. Second plague. Third plague. Fourth plague. (coughs) So that Pharaoh lets the Hebrew people go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this great passage of Scripture. We're told that (coughs) Moses used the rod, strike the Nile, the waters turned to blood. This was an affront to the Egyptian gods of the Nile, but also it reminds us that there's a great healing stream Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that stream lose all their guilty stains. So we thank you this evening for that promise. We ask that you, God, protect, be with each family, each couple, as we depart this place tonight in Jesus' name.